creation care covers a, a, a vast range of stuff. And I, I want to make it clear that it is not my job to make you eco-warriors or to get you all hit up about um, environmental justice issues. That's God's work. That's what he does. He will talk to you. My job, I believe, is to tell you how God is in relation to his whole creation, which I will hopefully do over the next few weeks. Because I found myself going down a rabbit hole. <clears throat> there is so much material on this. And I can, I can share some of it with you. Um, <clears throat> I've in some ways been overwhelmed by the, the sheer volume and complexity of some of the issues and some of the things that are going on. Um, so I'm not going to give you a blow by blow. I'm not going to go into how disastrous the state of the world is at the moment, how close we are to global warming, you know, and as Greta Thunberg said, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to do all of that. It will come up as we go through the next couple of weeks. It is inevitable when we start to talk about how... Uh, God has created things and how we've cared for them, that we're going to have to face some issues. But that's not my primary, my primary task. My primary task is to say, this is how God sees things. And so, today I want to start in, I think, um, an unusual place, a place that none of the commentators or books that I've read over the last while actually start. But I think is important for us to start at. And it to, to, it, it begins in a way with us stop, stopping for a moment and stepping back and looking at what Jesus says and does with the Sermon on the Mount. And we've looked at that over the last three or four weeks, five weeks. And the whole, tra tra the whole trajectory of what God is saying through Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has only one end goal, which we've recognized. It's the love of God and his grace manifest in that love. Everything that Jesus says and does about the Sermon on the Mount is actually driving towards that goal. That's the purpose of Jesus. And he's, what he's doing is he's taking so much of what they knew and he's saying, this is what it looks like. And we uh, <clears throat> recognize in chapter 5, verse 48, when he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. What he's trying to say is that this is a picture. This is what your dad looks like. <clears throat> and we, we use my friend's definition of holiness, which was that we bear the family image, the likeness of the family. We, we have his genes in us, essentially. So what it comes down to is this, is that God calls us to care for the things that he cares for. And I want to look at one particular thing this morning <clears throat> because I think it's a neglected aspect of creation care and I think it's important and it's a place we can all begin. So Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 in the NIV says, do to others what you would 
have them do to you. The message, where are we? It says this. I love this. I've read it many times before. Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. And, and Jesus couldn't be more plain. He says, add up God's law and prophets, and that's what you get. You see, the Sermon on the Mount, that's, that's in a sense the nub of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the, that's the kernel, the heart, the whole goal of what Jesus is saying is it's about us not only receiving the love of God, but embodying it, of living it in the whole of God's creation. Think about how you want people to behave towards you, how you would like them, what you would like them to do for you, and grab the initiative and do it for them. You know, if you were here for the first sermon when we looked at, at slap, slap on the cheek and all that other stuff, it's that creative initiative that I think God wants us to have and I think is part of what the Holy Spirit is. That creativity to actually embody the love and over the years, as uh, we've looked at, and Ian has often said it, in, in terms of the um, 40 acts of kindness in Lent, sometimes they're just things that you do to other people. You, you, you surprise them with kindness. The other passage I want to read is from Matthew 25. I don't find this passage in any of the creation care books at all. And it's about when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Matthew 25, 31. And he goes on to say, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. How glorious, how magnificent, how wonderful. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. How down to earth. I was a stranger and you invited me in. You showed hospitality. You were kind. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. And you know how the rest of the story goes. You've heard it on a number of occasions. So, here's the nub of what I'm saying this morning. We have to care for human beings the same way God cares about them. And that's the primary thing, I think, in terms of us in the church and those who are followers of Jesus. If we want to do what our Father is doing, He's caring for people. He's caring for the whole of his creation, but he's caring for human beings. I was in Starbucks at lunchtime on Monday. And I was sitting and talking, and this couple came in, an elderly couple, probably close to my age. <clears throat> um, let me rephrase that. This young couple came in, on <laughs> and they had with them a young man or a man who was clearly their son, because he looked like the father. 
in a wheelchair. But in one of those wheelchairs where you know that this man can do nothing for himself. He's braced in, it's got all the gear, the head stuff and everything. And in our uh, obsessed culture, he would not have been on the front cover of any magazine. His face was what we would say is disfigured. I spent a whole bunch of my time in um, my final year of study at university going every week, a couple of times a week, to a mental institution and found all kinds of different people there in all different stages of brokenness, let's just say. But the thing about Monday was that this old couple made this man, his son, obviously comfortable, and they, they so obviously loved him, that it was humbling. And they went and got stuff, a cup, cup of coffee and thing, and they got it all ready. He had his, they had to feed him both the food and the drink. And in our culture, in our world, we have so divided up people who are worth that something and those who are not. And we are horribly tainted by it in the church. We make judgments on who is beneath us and who is above us, who is better than us and who is not. And we, we divide the world up into those that we will deign to have time for and those that we will not. Who's important? The Pharisees knew exactly who was important. They knew that they had things sorted out. I'll come back to them in a second because I want to just um, tell you about another man. And you would have heard of him, some of you. He was a Catholic priest. He was Dutch. He, um, when he started to study theology, he found that he, he was fascinated with psychology, so he asked his bishop if he could study psychology. He ended up lecturing and being the professor of pastoral psychology and pastoral care at Yale University and then on to Harvard. A stellar kind of career awaited him. And I won't give you all the details, but what happened at the end of it is that he went to visit a friend in Canada and was introduced to the La'ach um, community. Henry Nowen is his name. And without all the details of his biography, what ends up happening is that he, he leaves all this academia, all the speaking engagements, all the plaudits of so many situations, and he goes to La'ach as the pastoral care in the community, but his task is to care for one man, Adam. I think, it's, I think it's God's sense of humor that this one man is known as Adam. And here's what Henry Nowen says about Adam. Adam is a 25-year-old man who cannot speak, cannot dress or undress himself, 
cannot walk alone, cannot eat without much help. He does not cry or laugh. Only occasionally does he make eye contact. His back is distorted. His arm and leg movements are twisted. He suffers from severe epilepsy and, despite heavy medication, sees few days without grand mal seizures. Sometimes, as he grows suddenly rigid, he utters a howling groan. On a few occasions, I've seen one big tear roll down his cheek. It takes me about an hour and a half to wake Adam, give him his medication, carry him to the bath, wash him, shave him, clean his teeth, dress him, walk him to the kitchen, give him his breakfast, put him in his wheelchair, and bring him to the place where he spends most of the day with therapeutic exercises. You also know um, Yancey, what's his name? Philip Yancey. You've heard maybe of Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey went to visit, um, to interview Henry Noen at La Arche. And he watched Henry Noen perform this ritual, helped him with getting him into the bath and participated with him in the day. And Yancey writes that he says, I had this fleeting doubt that this man who was so gifted, so adulated in terms of the academic world, so on the rise, if you like, in Catholic circles, that this was perhaps not the best use of his time and his gifting. And he says in a, a couple of places where he writes about it, that he kind of broached it with Henry Noen, saying, couldn't someone else take over these menial tasks of caring for Adam, that it would let him free to do more important things? And Henry Noen was flabbergasted. Shocked is the word. He said to Yancey that he had obviously been misinformed. He said, because I am not, these are quotes from, from, from Henry Noen. He says, I am not giving up anything. He insists. It is I, not Adam, who gets the main benefit from our friendship. You see, what Yancey in his confession, in a sense, is saying, is that in our society, we put a value on people as to whether they are productive or successful or beautiful or rich or you can add the list and make it go on and on. If we are going to care for God's creation, then we have to start with the thing that God loves with his whole heart, and that's the human being that's in front of you. What is God calling us to? He's calling us to be like he is. He's, that's what the kingdom is about. Jesus said, this is what the whole of my sermon is about. It's that you love those in front of you. 
with your whole heart and mind and soul and strength. Because that's how he said you should love God. That's how God loves you. With everything, passionately. There is no difference, no difference whatsoever between that man who I saw on Monday and our illustrious Prime Minister in terms of value as a human being. The wealthiest, most successful people are not intrinsically better than anybody else. And if we don't grasp this, if we don't shape our lives around this, then we have missed the fundamental issue of what it is to be loved by God. Augustine said, I am so grateful. How did he put it? I'm so grateful that God loved the sinner. Like he loved, in other words, he was saying all these people that Jesus loved when he came because it means he loves me. You see, he grasped the fact that, we are, that it's a level playing field as far as God is concerned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That Paul writes to the Roman church. You guys, if you've done this for spiritual laws, number one, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a level playing field about humanity. If we elevate one human being above another, we're in trouble. And why I said that about the Pharisees is that they had got to a place where they thought they had got up the ladder. They were closer to the prize. And Jesus comes along and he shafts the whole system because essentially the Pharisees and all that was a caste system. It was a hierarchy. It had people who were better and worse and you looked down on certain people. And Jesus, all through his ministry, what did he do? Who did he associate with? Prostitutes, let's name them, half-castes, Samaritans, terrorists, zealots, tax collectors. Well, we won't even go there. They're the fraudsters. They're the mobsters. They're the arm-twisters of note. They're the gangsters of the time. Roman soldiers, the power brokers. Who else? Shepherds. Smelly nobodies, let's face it. You know, those are, those are like street people. Drug addicts. Children. Women. All the time, Jesus is, is, is reinforcing over and over and over again. We, because of our fallenness and brokenness, trying to climb the ladder of what it means to be better than others. And we look down on people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And God is saying, don't worry, you're all in the same boat. All of you are broken. It's just that these people understand that they're broken. And that was the difference between the Pharisees and those. And here, guys, we've got to be very careful, is that we don't actually have a spirit of Pharisaism in that we look down on others because they are not like we are for whatever reason whether it's because we are spiritual or we're Christian or we've got certain values or morals or whatever 
I'm passionate about this because if we don't get this fundamentally into our brains, that God loves us all equally, then it, it doesn't really, I shouldn't say it doesn't really matter, but this is of the first order of business when it comes to caring for what God cares about. And that's why he came. He came for absolutely everybody. And so in God's economy, there is not one person who is more valuable than another. Not one person who is um, worth more than me or you. And we must be very careful that we aren't polluted by our culture in a way that makes us other than Christian, other than followers of Jesus. If we want to follow Jesus, care for what God cares about. And every single human being, every single human being is important and valuable. That man I saw on Monday will not be in the history books. In so many years' time, as he's passed on, there will be few people, perhaps. But God loves him. And when I saw his parents so obviously doting and caring and loving that man, it was humbling, genuinely humbling. And I thought, that's it. That's what it means to care for what God cares about. So that's the emotive plea at the beginning. Uh, we will get on to all sorts of interesting passages, some of the ones that you know, like Genesis, others that you might not have thought of. But um, it's, it's, I think, one of the most exciting rides I've had for a little while in going through some of this stuff. But let's, as his people, care for the things that he cares about.